Hey there, listeners. Before we dive into the latest episode of Head Coach U, we wanted to say a big thanks to this week's sponsor, War Room. At War Room, they understand how difficult it is to keep track of rosters from recruiting to graduation, depth charts, communication, and even the transfer portal. Their tools are there to help you keep a clean and concise roster. War Room helps programs by creating custom tools for your team's needs, from Little League all the way up to every single Power 5 conference. Reach out now at www.collegewarroom.com, all one word, and let them help you on your championship run. Broncos use College War Room every step of the way, and now you can too. Now, with all that being said, let's dive into a great conversation on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, it was, it was a fun time. We, I'm sure everybody had, had a great Christmas. Yours in particular might have been a, a little bit more interesting than just about everybody else. You, you're up there at your place in, in Montana. Can, can you just inform some of the listeners here before we kind of get into some of the breakdowns that we're going to be doing on this episode? Can you just inform some of the listeners what you've been dealing with these last couple of weeks? So Montana has hit a, hit a cold spell, and there have been days where, with wind chill, it's been between 30 and 45 below. <laughs> I, I can't even fathom that. You know, like that that aspect of, of just negative 40, I, I, I can't even imagine. I, I've been, been to cold places. I've been to cold places around the globe. That I cannot even, I, I will be stuck inside next to the fire for sure. So there were warnings that if you were outside for five minutes or longer with any skin or your face exposed, frostbite could happen. <laughs> and so there were fires being stoked. And But here uh, the folks are so self-reliant and so capable and, and roads are being plowed and sanded. And man, uh, the the how fast if someone goes off the road that a neighbor or a, a, another um, uh, driver will pull off and there's just good deeds going on everywhere, but it, it is a much different environment and, and, but a great Christmas, lots and lots of snow, but certainly really cold. It, it, what was it different for you? Cause I, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the, on the last episode, just in terms of, um, you know, usually you're spending uh, holidays around a, a bowl game, you know, and, and, and doing things with family there. What was a little bit different just because you are on your pause right now to, to kind of reflect and relax a little bit, uh, knowing you had Christmas at home. Really unique. Uh, so way more uh, free time, not only just to do activities, but really just thought. And so connecting with with Holly really for a Christmas time without football in terms of a bowl game has been really unique. And so lots of cool traditions. We have a son home from college and just a connecting and renewal period that's been really atypical for us, but welcomed and needed and wanted. And so we've really had a nice time. Well, that, that is fantastic to hear. And uh, I wanted to bring a, a special episode for, for everybody this this week, uh, the, the final one of, of 2022. And it is college football playoff time. They are right around the corner. I'm, I'm fixing to head off to uh, cover the Fiesta Bowl, and that, that's where I'll be. But uh, two really fun games. We wanted to get the coach's perspective, and, and, and uh, you were able to watch some film of uh, all four teams and, and kind of uh, give some insight for, for a lot of the fans out there, maybe even some of the coaches that uh, are looking at these games, a, a bit of a unique uh, and interesting look at uh, both the, the Fiesta Bowl 
and the Peach Bowl between Michigan and TCU and Georgia and Ohio State. And uh, I'm kind of curious what we can start off with just kind of your top level thoughts. We'll start with the Fiesta Bowl there. Um, you know, TCU, they, they, they lost their last game, but uh, a terrific season there for, for Sonny Dykes and the crew. When you look at the Horn Frogs in particular, how they were able to go through the Big 12, a very tough Big 12 this year. What was your kind of initial takeaway when you're starting to watch film of the, of, of the Horn Frogs there? Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, I was able to watch maybe four games on each side of the ball for, for each opponent. And one of the, the there, there's always storylines that develop and kind of come through on film, even without the narrative that might be happening out in public. And what you see when you watch TCU is a freshness and a vibrancy um, as if there's an excitement that they are there and maybe uncertainty of how they got there. And then a confidence that's been instilled along the way of we're here. And not only are we here, we belong here. And so much of that comes from quarterback play. Uh, but Sonny Dykes is an excellent coach. So just to back up, maybe just uh, for a second, the playoff teams, there's nothing accidental that these four teams are there. And those seasons are so long and the preparation is so diligent. The number of critical plays that have had to have been made this whole time to get to this point are really a tribute to, to all of the teams However, if you say now, okay, what, what's the formula that maybe they all have in common? Or if you were to put them in a, a, a bowl and shake it and say, okay, what's the same? So excellent coaching, certainly. So the head coaches all are very, very capable. Uh, but then it goes immediately to quarterback play. And so let, let's face it. Uh, there's one position that has disproportionate value on the outcome of every single game. And that's the player that touches the ball um, every snap. And that's the quarterback. And so all four of these teams including TCU, have excellent, excellent quarterback play. They're used differently, but that has to be in place. And this might be a little bit different to, to maybe what our listeners are thinking, but I think it immediately goes after the quality of leadership at the head coach and the quality of play at the quarterback. To me, uh, the defenses determine the outcome. Um, when quarterback play is, is at the level that it is with all four of these teams, um, points will be scored, the ball will be moved, and uh, the, the schematics are so well designed by every offensive coordinator and head coach. Ultimately, though, it comes down to critical stops and the team that can play solid defense from beginning to end against that backdrop of really good quarterback play and really skilled schematics are the ones that uh, end up at the end of the day having the most success. And so when you think about TCU, the very first thing that comes to mind, scoring, 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 number six nationally in scoring points. And I think sometimes the perception of TCU and Sonny Dykes is all they're going to do is throw it. Um, in this particular case, right, there's 25th in the country in passing and 25th in rushing. So you, you can't be more balanced than that. And that balance has led to um, a scoring potential that really is dynamic. That all is tied to the quarterback play. And because so much focus is on the quarterback and man, his ability to create, he can make every single throw a little bit Patrick Mahomes-ish as he can throw sideways in this quick release and just kind of moxie and confidence drips off of him. And he'll he'll run over you as well as slide um, and trying to lead his team back to victory as we saw just such a gutty effort against Kansas State. Um, but that in and of itself gives him and gives TCU a chance no matter who they play. That player in that system with that balance and then his ability to create in between. Uh, and if you choose uh, to maybe – consider pressure as your number one option. There's matchups on the outside 
uh, at the receiver spot that are problematic. And so this idea, as most teams, by the way, at this time in the playoff, if you can't play man free, if you can't put a man on a man, not only in pressure situations, but keep a player in the middle, the chance to truly make enough quality stops is difficult. Uh, zone defense versus as a pair or as a baseline with so many RPOs and the zone read schemes and the quarterback is an extra run threat and having to need the extra player. If you can't at some point uh, man up now, that then becomes the issue with the quarterback that's so accurate and receivers that are so capable. And then if there's ability to scramble in addition, that makes it very, very difficult. When you consider TCU as well from a, an offensive perspective, turnovers, creating turnovers and taking the ball away from them uh, when possible. So Kansas State took them to overtime. I, I know I'm mentioning that just because it was their last one. But turnovers are the ability, right, to eliminate possessions. And that's critical against a team like this. So if you flip it around and see from TC, what do you see defensively? Really well coordinated in a 3-3-5 system. And so lots of deception uh, and lots of what front is this? What coverage is this? Uh, what is it after the snap? but really executed at a high level. Having said that, right, when you play against um, a team, that means yourself, right, in a complementary fashion. So when you consider the identity of a team, I think, again, most people are thinking TCU is a little bit more pass-friendly than run-friendly. When you, then you add a 3-3-5 structure defensively, most people are thinking that's a little more pass-defense-friendly than rush-defense-friendly, and the statistics bear that out, where this rush defense is 65th in the country, that doesn't mean they're not capable. Uh, it just means that, right, in the way they played this year and and what their matchups have looked like, right, they're certainly capable and they're deceptive and they tackle well and they don't stay blocked well. But if, the, if you're then saying, okay, where is possibly uh, the way to go after this defense, it would be through the methodical run game and then having them fit the pullers and the Y inserts and the Y movers and all the extra things where you add an extra blocker uh, and then say with three, three, five with, with primary tacklers coming from depth, sometimes that's a yard or two deeper than what a normal stop would be made if you have an extra front player in. So the schemes are very effective and they're complementary. If you're then saying, what's the matchup issue for TCU? It's who they're playing and what the opponent does best. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned that Kansas State game. I was, I was at that Big 12 championship game, and, uh, you know, you, the, the TCU run defense, you know, that, that second half, they, they really turned it on and, and made some big stops there. Kansas State had some success on the ground early there, but uh, TCU, that's how they were able to come back from uh, 11 points down in, in the fourth quarter there. Uh, you, you also mentioned uh, Max Duggan there, obviously a Heisman uh, runner-up. Uh, I, I mean, he, he left it all out on the line. You know, just, just seeing him walk off the field there in, in Arlington uh, from that Big 12 championship game, he was, you know, emotionally drained, but he is the leader of that group. I, I, I'm kind of curious. You, you had Taysom Hill uh, when you were there at, at BYU. Does he remind you a little bit about him? Because he, he can throw his body on the line with, with kind of almost reckless abandonment, but it works because he's picking up first downs. He's pick, you know picking up those key third down conversions, and he's making those pinpoint passes down the field. It's really fun to see a, a competitor in any sport be that devoted to their team and that devoted to winning. And there's lots of external influences right now with the financial part and the, and uh, maybe the alliance or loyalty to a team and the portal. And and so this is a team and this is a leader at the quarterback position that is inspiring 
everyone around him to give more rather than less, right? To give more to this team at this time in this circumstance and eliminating any other thought of thinking about or doing anything else. By the way, he's playing, he's actually capturing the hearts and minds of not only his own team, but his staff, anyone, quite frankly, that loves college football, just by seeing someone try that hard at the expense, right, of um, of their body, right? And, and at that position, it's really, really fun to watch. And their team is playing uh, with the confidence and with the identity that I think is inspired by the quarterback. And, and so going back to their defense as well, they're fiercely capable and they're really well coordinated. And, and so again, against the matchup and the run heavy part that they'll be defending, much like they played the second half in the championship game, tightening things down, uh, adding more violence with the correct uh, um, vision control, right? Adding more uh, escapability, meaning beating blocks and making tackles, right? So that's that's the unique blend, right? Is everyone being in their gap and making sure the integrity is exactly right, which they're very good at. And then it's, can they get one extra hat to the ball carrier, right? To knock him backwards rather than forwards. And that's where then, right, uh, adding the, the way the quarterback is playing, kind of transferring that through the entire team, that starts to look like a team that could beat anyone. Uh, and that's the kind of effort, quite frankly, that TCU will need as as maybe the Cinderella-ish story of, the, uh, of this playoff crew, right? When you think about Georgia, their expectations to be there from the beginning, yeah, they're thinking – uh, we're going to be there from the beginning. If you think about Ohio State and their program, they're probably thinking about being there from the very, very beginning. Uh, when you think about Michigan now, the time they've spent collectively building that program with those expectations and success going, they're probably. TCU's the one that I think not only their team and the number of comebacks they've had, which also is reflective of the quarterback to me, right? They're never out of the game, even though they're having to come back frequently. Uh, they're the ones that, they're looking at each other and saying, yeah, we're here. They're surprised, maybe a hair, but then they they can say they've gotten here because, and that list is longer than surprise. And I think their excitement and passion maybe might be the highest of anybody. Oh, I, I would definitely say so. I mean, uh, talking with a few members of the staff, you know, I, I think, you know, making it to a big bowl game, that was kind of you know one of those type of goals and they thought they could get that, but uh, certainly exceeded expectations, not only there, there in Fort Worth, but I think nationally. And, you know, like I said, they, they, they earned this trip, uh, certainly to the Fiesta Bowl with, with the way they were playing and, and, and the way they came back. They, they really, you know, are, were a second half team. You could not count them out of, of any game and certainly will not count them out of this semifinal. But uh, you mentioned those those targets there a little bit uh, with, with Quentin Johnson. He six foot four wide receiver. He's a back Duggan's top target. Target. I, I'm kind, kind of curious with a guy like that, although they have some, some really speedy guys that, out of the slot on, on the other side, he, he takes up so much attention. I, I mean, is he a guy that you're going to like want to focus on in maybe bracket coverage or are you trying to do some special things just to combat a guy with that size that can just go up and, and catch the ball over any DB he's, he's facing? You're, you're going to have to pick and choose. Uh, at 6'4", he's always open. So the minute he comes out for warm-ups, he's already open. <laughs> you, can, you can throw it to him because very few corners are 6'4", very few safeties are 6'4". And certainly if they are, they don't run as well. And, and so that by itself requires and is, is ever-present on a defensive coordinator's mind is with, with everything else that's going on, there's always this thought when to steal the extra defender to possibly add help to um, whatever matchup issue you have at the corner spot on that receiver. And that's ever present. And so as soon as you might see three, three receivers in the boundary with the primary target to the field, right? Schematically, you have to be gap sound into the boundary. 
where and how far the free safety cheats to the field really then is an issue of the extra defender to the boundary. And so, and if you choose to play two higher quarters, where that field safety is and how far he cheats to possibly help is always an issue, especially with the quarterback and receiver that are capable like that. And so it has to be a moving target. It has to be a deceptive, there has to be a deceptive component to it. And so the offense will then, will try to have and use formations that make defenses declare as clearly as possible where any extra defender might be. And if that's the case, if it's choose, if they choose to leave a defender kind of hanging or lurking-ish backside, um, the possibilities front side, even though there's limited space, allow the chains to keep moving and moving and moving and moving and moving until you use the extra defender. And when that happens, right, the matchup issue exists, what we just talked about. TCU also runs the, the three, 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 five. We, we've been discussing that a, a little bit here. Uh, you know, it, it, you are Mr. Three, three, five. So, so you know that defense intimately well. Joe Gillespie's there uh, coming over from Tulsa has done a fantastic job. They got uh, Tredavious Hodges Tomlinson won the Thorpe Award, a terrific corner there. Um, w- when you look at the three, three, five, though, obviously there's the, the physicality matchup that, that everybody's kind of focusing in on the trenches there uh, against that Michigan offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award. Uh, when, when you look at that, I, I mean, is, is that kind of the biggest area of concern if, if you're TCU is just those three guys holding up a little bit against that front for Michigan. I think that's a simplified version. The easy answer is yes, right? So you're talking about Michigan, who is exceptional at rushing the football. Statistically, that bears it out where they're number five in the country. And so if you're talking about number five rush offense-wise, and if you're talking about defensively where it's 57th-ish in scoring, right, then you start to say, okay, in rush defense at 65, on paper, that doesn't look good. TCU, though, this is not a soft team. Even though we're saying three down, three down me- doesn't mean those are the only defenders that are responsible for the run. Frequently, and I'd say more frequently than not, there's eight defenders in the box. They're playing an eight-man front, even though the second level has five rather than the first level having right um, three, four, or five. So the, the thought that um, it's soft is not the case. And again, they're they're exceptionally well coordinated. They fit very, very well. But here's the challenge. The rush game for Michigan, Y insert, Y meaning the tight end. And so the number of times the Y will go from someplace um, as a wing or maybe extended and then on motion or in the backfield, then insert somewhere into the line of scrimmage between the tackles, then adjust the run fit in real time for every defensive player. That in and of itself becomes very difficult. Now, when you add insert and or pullers, that means gap schemes where there's a down block and a puller, right? Gaps change with that as well. And so traditional run fits are difficult enough, right? In any defense, when you consider now inserting a Y or a tight end, that changes the run fit in real time. Then add gap schemes and pullers, that adds real um, gap adjustments in real time. And if you're doing that right frequently, and if anyone is off or late, then there's extra yards in the run game, which means the drives are sustained and it keeps going. Michigan does that against everyone. And so now with more players from the second level having to adjust to that, yes, they have more vision and they have more time to see it, but the vision and time to see it is also at the expense of how fast and how downhill they can come. And now it's less size versus more size. So then if you're thinking now from Michigan standpoint, they love extra tight ends, they love extra gaps, they love gap schemes, they love Y inserts. So an existing 3-3-5 that's coordinated and is playing uh, at a really high level, adjusting to maybe the most difficult run schemes that exist 
in terms of look and frequency and execution, that just adds to an already difficult task. And so it's going to be a challenge. No, it, it certainly is. And even though, you know, Michigan ha- has been missing Blake Corn, we, we can focus a little bit now on, on, on the Wolverines. Uh, they, they do have Donovan Edwards. I, I mean, he's been phenomenal these last couple of weeks, 216 yards against Ohio State, including those big, long touchdown runs that were just backbreakers. You know, he when he has a little bit of daylight, he, he seems gone. And, uh, you know, had a great Big Ten championship game, 185 yards there against Purdue. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like this this Michigan run game, you know, has skipped a beat, even though they kind of lost one of their, their Heisman favorites there in, in Blake Corum. W- what is the success that, that you were able to see? What, what was it? The offensive line uh, just opening up those, those, those slivers of running lanes or was it the, the running backs or was it just kind of everything working together? Execution, 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 execution. This offensive front, the, the number of times there is an assignment mistake, uh, it, it stands out on film almost like did that just happen? They rarely, rarely are, are off on terms of who they're blocking, how they're blocking, how they're identifying. And that comes from a former player of mine who is the center at, at Michigan. So their, their front identification, their offensive front communication to the different combinations needed with the, uh, um, the extra blockers that Michigan uses, right, and the formational adjustments they create to the defenses, and then with gap schemes that add to all that, that multiplicity of issues in the run game make it so difficult. Now add a running back, and, and I love – uh, I love the running back. I, I know Coram's hurt, uh, but this um, this ball carrier, he makes people miss. He runs for power. He runs for speed, and he's consistent, and he's no drama. He just runs, and he stands up, and he gives the ball back, and he does it again, and he does it again. When you add a quarterback to that that can create, and so this might be the, the biggest difference in this game. I, I think Michigan's quarterback is playing at maybe the highest level of any quarterback of the four, and they're all very, very good. His ability to create, meaning with his legs, and so the run game, the run game, the run game, and then there's play action shots, and if it's not there, his ability to pull and then run, or is it his ability to extend and and have the scramble drill be effective? The number of minus yardage plays that's happening against Michigan, they simply do not get behind the chains. And so the run game, the run game, the run game, the defenders then start to have to commit an extra player or start having to possibly uh, dial in a pressure or two, which usually isn't balanced. And if it's not balanced with the gap schemes that are being run, the chance for a big play is huge. But then the play action pass opens. The quarterback, if he doesn't see what he wants, he pulls it down and runs. The, 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 the demoralizing effect on a defense with that, so he's throwing for accuracy. He's making great decisions on the play action, but his legs, his legs, his legs, his legs, to me are, are possibly – uh, what ends up have Michigan having Michigan go uh, the entire way? Well, I mean, I, I think you know when Jim Harbaugh kind of announced at the beginning of the season that there would be a quarterback battle. You know, Kate McNair took him to to the college football playoff last year and, and won the Big Ten title, got over Ohio State. But there was kind of an open competition. JJ McCarthy coming in for for a large reason. Not only was he you know kind of the five star guy and, and everybody kind of attention on what he can do with his arm strength, but he does that add add that added dimension uh, there with the run game. We we've seen it to, to great effect certainly down the stretch here. But he you know defending a guy like that. I, I mean, do you have to like coach your your linebackers to say every single time you, you got to be aware of that? I mean, is is that going to be a point of practice for for everybody on that TCU defense? You got to make sure that the quarterback gets rid of the ball before you you, you can go home and, and go after that running back. It, it, it certainly does. And the, the challenge is, right, if you're thinking about Michigan's identity, it is run first, run first, run first, run first. So you're spending so much and disproportionate time 
on making sure that you can address all the uniqueness and the exotics in their run game. When and if you get that dialed in within the practice, even though they're playing right this upcoming weekend, and it seems like there's been a long time, I, I promise you their coordinators and the defensive players and position coaches are still feeling urgency to get the run game fits dialed in. Once that happens, how quickly they can react to play action pass, that means linebackers already and safeties already headed downhill into their run fit to now stop, redirect, and identify where the uh, uh, pass uh, um, threats are coming from and then plaster on those effects, that, that's already requiring more time, energy, and effort per play. The front, in the meantime, has to adjust in the, during the play from defending the run to now pass rush lanes. That usually then leads to right a more fatigued front, which is more time for the quarterback. However, when they get close to the quarterback, now you have to be presenting this with, this is to sack the quarterback and this is to contain the quarterback. It's better to keep him in the pocket, right, than take a shot and miss. If you take a shot and miss, especially in any of the rush lanes, and there's four rush lanes, the integrity of the rush lane is compromised if the quarterback then, right, breaks the rush lanes with second level defenders turning to find receiving threats, the amount of space that the quarterback then has to um, uh, to dictate terms and run or pass is just one other element that, that is so frustrating as first downs are occurring with quarterback run. If uh, uh, contain is broken and plastering downfield is happening to happen longer, and then the very next play, there's three tight ends and a Y insert in a gap scheme, and someone then has to fly in there and make a really physical tackle. Uh, that combination is so difficult. So the rush lanes on the quarterback, this isn't rush to sack. This is rush to contain and then squeeze, leverage, and hopefully then, right, someone gets their hands on him. If you do it the other way, the chance for big plays uh, uh, in concert with the run game ends up having the game get out of control too fast. Yeah, and keep in mind, you know, J.J. McCarthy, this is really his first year as, as a starter and, and his, his feel inside the pocket, you know, has really impressed me how, how that's developed over the course of the year. But uh, for, for all the attention that I think there is rightfully so on on, on that Michigan offense, uh, you know, the defense gets a little bit overlooked. But but Jesse Mentors, uh, he was up for the Royals Award, has done a terrific job getting this group to, to maybe even be better than they were a year ago, which which is saying something. They've got great guys up front. Mozzie Smith coming back at them. You know, like the secondary is pretty stacked. When you're looking at that Wolverine, defense well what kind of catches your eye well points allowed uh if right ultimately you can't win if you can't score points and in any defense while there's different schemes and different strategies and different identities and different coordinators what you're measured against is does the opponent score and if they don't score and they don't score frequently you're playing strong defense and michigan is playing strong defense they're also especially strong against the rush in third in the country and, and that's Think about it for a second. If you're thinking about program design in Michigan, you're thinking about a team that runs the ball especially well with great quarterback play. You're thinking about a defense now that, that defends the run especially well, which means you're controlling the game, and then they're limiting points. So really, in order to, to have success against Michigan, if you're not throwing the football exceptionally well, uh, it's going to be a long day. Now think about that in terms of throwing the football Throwing the football then means, right, your chance for, to, um, to limit possession time. Uh, and if you're not if you're not holding on to the ball as well, right, then there's a chance for the, the, um, the, the uh, Michigan's complementary nature of how they play the game uh, just to leave an offense on the sideline or not scoring points. 
a defense out there longer than what they want to be frequently. And then there's a breaking point of that. So the complementary nature of how Michigan's program is designed and how they're playing defense in concert with the offense makes this so formidable. And so uh, to me, uh, Michigan's pass defense is not quite as strong as their rush defense, but they are capable of playing man free, which really helps their, uh, they do a nice job on third down, especially with adding enough pressure and enough variance in terms of dropping eight, some zone blitz. Um, and again, some of their exotics to where they're getting off the field when they need to on third down. But in the meantime, um, they're defending the run and they're defending base offense at a really high level. And so they're getting to third down, dictating terms, getting off the field, limiting points and doing so in a manner so frequently that their offense then can just keep being who they are. Right. And run it and run it and run it and play action shot and score a scramble and keep the keep the drive alive. And so this isn't really like even though we're breaking down each side of the ball, what we're really talking about is a, um, a complementary nature and how that team plays that TCU will have to find their complementary way, right, to match that. Uh, and and that in and of itself is going to be both sides collectively uh, will have to be in unison for the outcome of this game to be determined favorably for either side. Yeah, I mean, when you're putting talking about putting 12 to 13 games of, of complementary football, these four teams, you know, really consistently did that uh, throughout the season outside of maybe maybe that Ohio State-Michigan game uh, for, the, for the Buckeyes. We'll get into the Peach Bowl in, in just a second, but uh, let, let's wrap up the Fiesta Bowl here. Uh, when you look at the game, uh, yeah. being pretty objective, you, you watch both of these teams. What, what is the biggest key in, in your mind and how can, can you kind of see it play out? I, I see it as this way. Uh, TCU is certainly capable of having success in this game. Uh, eliminating turnovers, right? Ball security. So they have to be TCU, right? They have to keep being them with their quarterback continuing to be the inspirational and productive leader that he is, right? TCU's defense making critical stops when they need to because there will be some yards and, and the ball will be moved against them some. If TCU does not turn the ball over, right, they have a great chance to take this all the way to the end. Conversely, right, uh, Michigan, their ability to to continue to determine the terms of the game through the run game and then hit their play action pass uh, uh, shots with the quarterback creation, right? If, if TCU can keep Michigan's quarterback in the pocket on the play action passes to eliminate the, um, the scramble effect, they have a chance. Um, if not, if the quarterback's creation ability is allowed to happen in addition to what they already do well, um, the points won't be manageable uh, for TCU. And so the complementary nature of the game, I think, favors Michigan just simply because of the consistency they've demonstrated on both sides of the ball and the way both sides fit, where it seems when you go to TCU, man, there's heroics that happen from the quarterback position in comeback victories. And, and that, uh, while it's been so inspiring, it's hard to sustain and it's hard to manage. And a lot of times it leaves you just one or two plays either a positive or maybe a play short, uh, as in their last game. Uh, but as long as uh, uh, TCU's quarterback is on the field, they have a chance. But that model is harder to sustain than kind of the complementary, rhythmical, um, almost seamless attack that Michigan is currently using with both sides of the ball together. Yeah, one thing is is for sure there, there's going to be some popcorn uh, needed after the after <laughs> halftime because these are both second half teams that they, they love to to kind of bring the fireworks then and, and make those halftime adjustments so successfully throughout the year. So it, it's going to be a fun matchup. Yeah, and that and that's a really really good point 
the, these teams aren't here without um, great leadership from the coaches. So not only from the head coaches, but the coordinators, when you're thinking of second half trajectory in these games, there's an amazing job. There's an amazing job being done by both sides, both teams of the adjustments necessary. That's when you're seeing the point differential and the adjustments happening. And all of a sudden, are these even the same two teams as you watch them play and comebacks happening? That's happening based on the composite knowledge of half one with them, the schematics and the clarity from box to booth um, or box to sideline. And it's and, and then in real time, right in the fog of war happening, adjustments being made a new plan. So literally they'll go in and the play, the play sheets are then things are being scribbled out. Things are being written off to the side. Sections are being X through other things are being written in. And that's happening to the effect of outcome in a positive way for both teams. So the, the quality of coaching and leadership, you don't get to this level without not only the great players, but the schematics, but also, also the adjustments. It's not just the schematics and the identities. Those are being adjusted in real time from the minute the first play happens through halftime and that those halftimes, it's like stock trading. When you go in, it's poised and it's calm a lot of times. Sometimes it's not. But when you're hearing of the adjustments, hey, what about this? What about this? Okay, I got that. And <laughs> there's so much dialogue happening. A lot of times the quarterback's right in the middle of that. And then they go out with the play sheet or a defensive sheet that does not resemble um, or in some ways is quite, is quite uh, uh, in a contrasting nature from what they started with. And to both these teams' credit, um, they've been accurate. Sometimes you go back out and some of the adjustments you made made it worse, not better. And in, in these cases, right, these coaching staffs have done, a re- have done a really nice job this way. Yeah, and there's, there's a reason they're, they're cleaning up on, in terms of award season and, and a lot of uh, them getting jobs as well uh, at, at other FBS institutions. So uh, there, there is certainly a reason. And it kind of adds to the matchup there in, in Glendale for the Fiesta Bowl. I, I can't wait to, to be out there for that one. But uh, I think there's a lot of attention to being paid to the Peach Bowl on, on the other side of the country. It is the primetime game of the two semifinals. And uh, you know what, what more could you ask for? Ohio State, Georgia, two teams, as you mentioned earlier, kind of that expected to be here. And uh, they took some, some different paths. Uh, certainly for sure, um, you know, with the Buckeyes losing their last game that kind of probably going to fuel them a, a little bit going into this matchup, but uh, kind of broad thoughts here going into the Ohio state uh, Georgia matchup and, and what, uh, what we can kind of look forward to there in the peach bowl. Well, I, I think uh, when you consider college football, and even uh, if you step back at a broader landscape and say, uh, what surprises are there? Is there a surprise that Georgia um, is in the semifinals? Uh, is that surprise at Ohio State? If like if you were to mention that at any time during the season, you would expect that. I would say similarly with Michigan. Um, there's they're they're a team at, as where their program currently is. That becomes an expectation. When you have that, that's a different level of emotional drain or lack thereof. There's a poise that comes with that expectation, uh, but there's also a, a fundamental pressure that's inherent with that that you just, it's why you choose a destination, but it's also terms that you accept when you go there that you live with. And as you consider Ohio State as they they lost their last game and it's a rivalry game, those things hurt and uh, they leave scars. And even though there's a motivation to return, to play and to correct and, and to reestablish, right? And for redemption, there is also uh, the memory of and possibly the question of, um, are we ready? And and are we as good as we think, right? So you would never think that you'd have to say that for Ohio State or to any program. However, 
uh, when it's a rivalry game with so much on the line and you're trying your absolute best uh, and especially at home to win the game uh, and that doesn't happen, there's some hard things that have to be looked at. The coaching staff at this point, right, whatever the issues were uh, in that particular game that led to that outcome, they'll regain credibility, they'll regain momentum, they'll regain optimism, they'll regain swagger based on the clarity in which they say this happened, this is what we're doing, this will address that. The players will see that in practice and there could be even more momentum gained in a better version of that team based on how those adjustments are handled uh, from that last loss. If those aren't handled with clarity and precision and manifestations of practice showing that, then there could be, even though it's an amazing team, right, on the stage, there can be just a shadow of uncertainty or doubt still remaining. And so this time period, even though Christmas has been going on and all that, how that part has been handled from that last loss really to me is, is where Ohio State's mindset kind of becomes a factor. Whereas if you flip it to Georgia, they're not they're, they're certainly not used to giving up the number of points they gave up versus LSU, right? That's uncommon. But quite frankly, playing from um, playing from the front and from that far ahead uh, is very difficult and it's very difficult to maintain your edge even though it's that caliber of game. But it did expose also the same thing uh, of are there things now in the past game and in their past defense specifically, that can be corrected, identified, and needed to make them uh, um, even more formidable. When you're number two in the country against the rush, when you're playing defense the way they have in the Kirby Smart era, right? that becomes just a formidable thing to take on right from the beginning. When you say now, okay, how did someone just score 30 points there? You have to look at the context, but then say, okay, now what could be leveraged in the meantime? And so George is probably looking at that a little bit as well knowing that they're a very strong team. They, I'm sure, believe they're the favorite to win the national championship. And so I think the coaches and Kirby will do a great job this way of keeping them completely dialed in on what can improve, what needs to improve. And again, if you go back to what's consistent, both quarterbacks. Uh, so George's quarterback, what he does is he just wins, right? They manage the game in a balanced effect. They never get behind the chains. They hardly ever get sacked. And he distributes the ball to the players around him in a methodical and effective and an efficient way. And if you're saying on the other side at the quarterback position, besides two head coaches being exceptional, you go right to quarterback versus quarterback. That then becomes an amazing and intriguing matchup. But then to me, as I presented the same formula to, be, to begin with, uh, then it goes to the defenses and which defense then has uh, the staying power to go beginning to end uh, all the way through then you start looking at George's model, much like Michigan's model, right? And the complementary nature of those two things becomes uh, something that's pretty formidable to take on. Well, so certainly the, the reigning national champions uh, have, have quite a bit uh, in in their stock. I mean, surviving, you know, 15 draft picks uh, from, from last year, all those first five first rounders on, on defense. And you know what? They they're still have a top five scoring defense. You know, they still are loaded on that front. You know, Jalen Carter, the defensive lineman there, I'm sure he sticks out like a sore thumb when you're watching the, the film there. He, he is so good. Uh, probably another uh, top five draft pick uh, down the road. But in terms of kind of attacking that Georgia defense, what, what kind of stood out to you uh, seeing that unit operate? So it's really fun uh, to, to watch Georgia play. Uh, ha having been an odd front coach most of my life, I love teams that, uh, that are odd front, but then kind of expand. And college football requires more than just one, one approach now. But I think one of the things that Georgia does that makes it so difficult on an opponent, um, 
defending or preparing for an odd front team or the ability to shift to an odd front team is is different than right an even front team and and being able to go in and out of both of those increases the preparation time for an opponent so when you consider the style of play georgia has uh, they're playing multiple styles so they're playing an odd front with dynamic and physical players that just will not stay blocked and so when you think about uh, what a great defensive player is a great defensive player is one that can beat a block and make a tackle over and over and over again right good defense is everyone doing their job right there's each gap is accounted for and the gap integrity is sound and then if you happen to have an unblocked player he then makes the play the best defenses are the ones that the players are in their gap and then they can beat a block and then make a tackle in addition to that right and when every player in your front seven or possibly every player on your defense is capable and not only capable of doing it but does that back to the the point of the defensive front and the defensive lineman when you're doing that from multiple alignments as well uh the offensive front so much of the offensive front is based on identification communication and then the combination of blocks that have to happen when that's happening the preparation is needed for multiple fronts within players that will not stay blocked that then becomes almost to where all you want to do is throw it and get away from all that. When that happens, the chance then for you to get behind the chains and predictability of pressure then becomes increased. And, and so all of a sudden, right, uh, you find yourself behind the chains unless you can uh, keep Georgia off balance, which happens to be where you have to mix power and space. So you have to add additional blockers in the run game. Your quarterback has to be a run threat and or then you have to complement that really quickly with formations that are unbalanced that might you, you might be able to get a different gap um, or an added gap or then extend things so clear that maybe in space your chances of having uh, one of your players beat theirs uh, increases to at least 50 50. Yeah, and I, I can't wait for that that little bit of chess match there between <laughs> between Kirby and, and Ryan Day, two two really good play callers on, on either side of the ball. I I did want to mention, you know, you, we, we talk so much about the Bulldogs' defense, but on offense, they are like team all get off the bus, especially with their tight ends. You know, Darnell Washington, six seven, two seventy. You know, Brock Bowers probably the the most uh, the the best player. You know, if you're talking about the position players in college football, he won the Mackey Award as as the nation's top tight end. The ability to go into twelve and thirteen personnel that that has to have so much of an advantage in today's game because you are playing a lot of teams that like to spread it out to have those tight ends that that has to be the huge mismatch uh, opportunity here for Georgia and, and probably the biggest concern for Ohio State's defense right adding tight ends are the very most uh, are the most difficult thing in terms of run front integrity defensively as soon as there's extra tight ends a secondary player now has to be a primary front player and that adds additional pressure and the size now again if you're adding a tight end versus a safety you already have a physical issue, right? And so you have the physical mismatch with the extra gap, which usually means an isolation somewhere else. And that's happening with a quarterback that has seemed like he's been in college football forever and just make sure the ball or the play, the correct play is run to the correct player with enough time and the clock is being managed and the game is being managed. And there's just, uh, just a really uh, precise but effective way uh, being managed. And so when I think about Georgia, to me, the balance, the balance about, so where, where do you focus on and what do you take away primarily to give you yourself the best chance? And that answer is um, kind of the pick them, right? Because it's so balanced and there are so many quality players within quality schemes and a quarterback that manages all that in real time. And, a, and a, a, I think a great offensive play caller as well, that therein just is, it requires uh, the one-on-one, -on -one, so great defenses, right? 
you you win your one-on-one. This really becomes 11 on 11 at the highest level. Someone on the defensive side has to match the capability of the quarterback on the offensive side to be getting the front and the right checks. Usually it's the Mike linebacker. Sometimes it's the free safety. But that communication has to be happening at the exact same time. If that's not in real time happening on the field, right, then it's you're winning 10 of the 11 uh, with the offensive quarterback basically finding the spot where that one mismatch is not happening. And then eventually, right, over the course of a game, that volume of decisions has led to the outcome. Yeah, I mean, and it's just a minute. I, I know some people might want to criticize, you know, he's, he's not throwing the ball all over the yard. He, he's not putting up the, the big time numbers that some of his peers are. But when the, the lights turn on, that guy is certainly a gamer. He's, he's a Heisman finalist for a reason. He, he's won a national championship where I don't think he has to pay for an alcoholic drink in the state of Georgia uh, for the rest of his life for that. But uh, he has a chance to to really etch himself into history here with with back to back titles. Uh, if he can complete this run, and, you know, the, the run game you know, of Georgia, we, we kind of mentioned that a little bit that they got three guys really upperclassmen. Uh, or tailbacks that they can throw at you. That it's not really one primary guy, but that they each kind of bring a little bit of, of, of difference. And I, I think that offensive line too. Everybody kind of overlooks and wants to talk about the tight ends, like we were just saying, the quarterback, all that stuff. But the offensive line ha- has really, uh, you know, gotten better throughout the season. And, and I think it kind of been one of the, the kind of unsung units here for for this Georgia team as well. So when you're talking about top 20 units in rush and pass, so they they run the ball effectively, they throw the ball effectively, they score, they're scoring very effectively and the quarterback is managing all that and the quarterback's main job like any leader's main job is singular singularly is to get results so that basically any any criticism goes away when you're the national champion um when you continue to win and and your your uh, your offense is balanced so they've designed it knowing who georgia has designed it knowing who their quarterback is knowing what their resources are and their offensive front is is uh, is is very sound, is very solid, is very capable, as are their tight ends, as are their running backs, as are the receivers. So if you're saying, okay, where is the weakness? The weakness literally lies in maybe the the, the unsingular greatness of the quarterback's statistics. Now complement that or contrast that versus the outcome. Then you'd say he's a great player because they win literally every game. And they're doing so after being a national championship. So the quarterback's job sometimes is to to not focus on his own statistics as much as getting the ball uh, to where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to go there, versus what look the defense has given them on any given play, and to make sure you manage your resources, which are the other 10 offensive players, in a way that allows your team to score points. And so I would argue maybe he could be the best player because of his decision-making and game management uh, and using the resources he has in uh, a very balanced approach. So again, if you're defending Georgia, um, this is, is it run first or is it pass first? Is it pass first? Is it run first? It, it's whatever the defense then lines up in, right? Their offense then will attack the weakest part of that specific look, and they'll just keep doing that consistently with their own execution. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, Jim Knowles has, has a ton of hair left on, on his head, but uh, he might uh, have, have a lot less after preparing for, for the Bulldogs here. Not, not to say that, you know, like I think Ohio State's defense has improved significantly from if, if you looked at them from a year ago, they they have been much better tackling. They've been much better in terms of some of their, their run fits and all that. Uh, there, there were issues for them last year. You, you can see the coaching and the improvement on on that side of the ball. Uh, they've, they've got some players. they got those five stars as well. You know, they, Zach Harrison uh, up front. They, they've got uh, some safeties that are probably going to end up, uh, you know, being day two type of draft picks when, when you look at the Buckeyes defense what, what, what kind of sticks out in, in your mind too yeah it's been fun to watch and the improvement is clearly noticeable and, and it jumps off the film in the first series you, you can see just um, 
uh, tackling, you can see leverage, communication and confidence. So that is all emerging and you can see that culturally coming off the film. What you can also see is, is for Ohio State um, to have a, a successful playoff run, much like I was talking before, uh, the defenses, you have to be able to play your defense and play that in a way where the defensive coordinator doesn't have to guess or the frequency of his guessing to take away a critical play through pressure or calling the exact right play at the exact right time, the chance for that to be sustainable um, is really not uh, the model of consistency. What Ohio State has to be able to do from the from the study that I've had is, is to play their core and their base defenses more effectively in critical moments and making the critical play within their existing scheme and strategy without having to go so much to the exotics and the pressures and critical moments, which certainly can pay huge dividends. But they can also, uh, if you go to the Michigan game, in some of the exotic looks to create an extra amount of pressure or deception uh, the execution was off by a gap, right? Or a player was off by maybe one man, and that led to giant plays. That happened not in base and not in with the normal configuration defensive alignment. That came through the exotics and the pressures and the execution of those, which was then the felt need of the coordinator feeling like he had to do something else to make the critical stop. So Ohio State's next step is within their comprehensive and base defense to make more critical plays within that and sustain that longer so the number of the exotics and the additional pressures aren't needed as frequently because it's not sustainable in terms of right the risk that you inherit by doing that so the defense has improved it shows up everywhere and they're playing effectively enough right to be in the playoffs however right the play caller cannot consistently offenses are very very skilled and the coordinator is very skilled you, you can't choose I'd have the number of choices where you're right with your exotics and your pressures uh, uh, be effective enough, consistently enough for that to be the core identity to take over a game. And and the good news for the Buckeyes is, you know, if they, they give up a, a touchdown or two, you know, at least they have the offense. They have, they have the offensive firepower to, to get right back in this. And, and they probably end up wanting to turn this into a track beat, uh, knowing they, they got C.J. Stroud back there at quarterback. Uh, not only, you know, a, a pinpoint passer, but uh, he, he can make the plays. We saw it uh, last year on the, on the big stage of the Rose Bowl and in, in his bowl appearance where he he was throwing the ball over all over the yard to, to, to mount a big comeback. And, you know, we'll, we'll see in terms of their run game. You know, I, I know Mayan Williams and, and Travion Hendricks have been kind of banged up. It does seem like that impact them down the stretch, not having those running backs they could really rely on. If you're Ryan Day and, and you're advising him, did you kind of got to caution him and say, even if the, the run, even if you're only getting a, a yard or two in, in terms of the run game, you still got to stick with it to, to provide some of that balance because if you get too pass happy, that, that is when things might snowball against the front like Georgia. So, so we've talked about this before. The compliment, these games, the biggest games on the biggest stages and with the most at stake are one through a complementary nature. Right. This is not an offense versus a defense only. And, and sometimes a head coach that's a play caller or in my case, a head coach that was a defensive play caller, you can get sucked into and tilted a little bit more to that side of the ball, meaning the most. These games have to be managed in a manner. Right. It's the complementary of the complementary nature of both sides contributing and that body of work being the outcome. And so back to Ohio State for a second and just one more point defensively. It's not that their statistics are poor. This is a defense that's 13th in the country and they're top 25 in, in, in both run and pass defense. So that doesn't mean they're not capable. This just means now for the playoffs specifically, which is a new bar, 
right? And those critical moments. So now if you shift to the offense and say, okay, when I, what I see now is clearly a pass first, run second offense as where it is today. And C.J. Stroud, he's a very, very good quarterback. The receivers are dynamic and they're exceptional. They're protecting him well. Without the run game complement at a level that is effective, right, the single-natured approach uh, at, this, at this particular time against these particular players and these particular level of talent and coaching, it makes it very difficult to sustain that in a way um, to have success. And so absolutely the run game matters. Time of possession matters, right? Not just dead time of possession, but time of possession leads to scoring and field goals matter. Sometimes switching field position and a punt, that does matter, especially when the clock is wound down. And so ideally these games, if you have a great chance to win with the ball with under three minutes to go at the end of the game, right? That That's a great job of coaching and game management when you look at the parity that exists. And so without the run game specifically, which was your question, very difficult to sustain that only through the air. And I think Ohio State, they do a really nice job. So they have open formations and they have a great passing game. But the very next play, they could be in 12 personnel and they could be uh, emphasizing a power run game and then they're right back out to spread. And so I really like uh, the idea that they're moving to and using of spread formations that mixed with power and then spread formations that mixed with power and then spread formations and mixed with power. And I'm talking power formations and power run game just so um, it's second and six. Second and six is a great quarterback and a great coordinator can do an amazing job on second and six and second and five. And that happens then. And if 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 the, the box starts to be a little bit heavy and the spread formations start to be a little more effective, but that moving target to me is is really where Ohio State becomes most effective rather than maybe a little bit heavier open formations with just a little complement of the run. I think it has to be, in this game specifically, uh, I think it has to be a little bit heavier on run reliance uh, in addition to what they're already doing so well in throwing the ball. And I mean, when C.J. Stroud is in rhythm, uh, oh, I don't know if there's a more difficult quarterback to, to stop in, in, in the country. Uh, his top target, Marvin Harrison Jr. We talked about uh, Quentin Johnson a little bit earlier. Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, runner up for the Blitnikoff Award. The guy's body control is, is just insane. Probably expected uh, give, given who his dad is. But uh, I mean, did, did he kind of stick out for some of those catches he made when you're watching the film? It, it takes about three plays for you then to just as a, as a former defensive coordinator, just to look and say, oh, OK, how are we going to handle that? So it, it jumps out so quickly, and yet it can't be the only thing you think about uh, because you only have 11 players. And, and so the uh, the combination of when you press and when you play off and when it's zone and when it's man and when it's outside leverage and when it's inside leverage, right, that has to just be a constant narrative that's going on, but not uh, not occupying so much of your thoughts that you're then not playing sound and consistent defense, uh, because then that leaves you in kind of a passive approach to def- to defense. So part of this is 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 praising and building up and, and having your secondary become so confident and anxious for the challenge that they can't wait for their chance to line up and play defense there. So after you acknowledge the challenge, then really becomes psychologically to how then build up um, the, the mindset, but then the technical application of the skills a player already has with just enough schematics, right, to add help when needed. And without that, to just say it's going to be normal matchup uh, and, and normal defense versus that player, uh, um, that could be an approach, but I think it would be at, at the peril of maybe the outcome. 
Well, I will follow that up. We'll, we'll get ahead here with this. Uh, I mean, you, you look at this Peach Bowl, it, it's Georgia, it's Ohio State. This is kind of the, the sexier matchup between the, the two biggest programs kind of uh, around in, in the tournament here. Uh, what, what, what's your biggest key as, as you see it, and how do you kind of see this, this game playing out? Yeah, I think to me, from Ohio State's standpoint, their ability to add some run threat to where Georgia just isn't thinking past defense and not able to only call past defense and not only able to be tilted that direction. So Ohio State's ability to have an effective run game and a well-designed run game to add some semblance of keeping Georgia off balance. So I, I think that's the key in there. And then just being Ohio State, right? They're, they're very good scoring. They're, they're very strong offensively. And then defensively, right? Fewer and fewer of those moments to really take the risks and increasing their ability to play within their structure, within their system, within their base at a higher level and make a critical play within that. So I think they have to be a little bit more patient maybe than what they have been. And so that's what I see from their side. From Georgia's standpoint, the quarterback managing the game as he always does, that formula is so well established. And, and so de departing from that in any way, I don't think Ohio State's defense warrants that against this matchup. And that doesn't mean, right, that, that it will be a track meet. But I think their existing formula executed well is exactly what they do. They stay on track. They stay on pace and do it even more efficiently than they have been doing it, if possible. I think that's their answer. Defensively, uh, there's an intrigue to me. Ohio State throws the ball really well. And if there is a susceptibility currently and at this time with Georgia's defense, that's an obvious pass downs. Uh, can they play the ball downfield and execute their coverage effectively enough, right, to get off the field and limit points? And so I find a hard time even saying or faulting anything Georgia defensive wise. Uh, but there was a glimmer and a sliver and a crack in, in the LSU game of, wait a second, there's a lot of completions happening here. There's a lot of completions happening and known passing downs you can't discount the lead they were playing from, right? So that you have to acknowledge that and then say, okay, how much of that was maybe mindset and having the lead, but how much of this is, wait a second, they might have an issue or two in the past game. So possibly the intrigue here could be Ohio State throwing it when Georgia knows they're going to throw it. And if, if those some of those moments happen early in the game and there's success from Ohio State, maybe there is an issue that Georgia hasn't quite reserved or, or resolved in their pass coverage component. Well, I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. History would kind of say that at least one of these games is probably going to end up being a blowout, but hopefully that is not the case and we get two great semifinals there on Saturday. Going to make for a very fun New Year's Eve for all of us college football fans. Bronco, this has been so great to, to kind of get that X's and O's breakdown that uh, I think is, is kind of rare out, out there and, and certainly getting that, that head coach eye on these matchups. And I, I know you'll be watching and tuning in. I know everybody else will be out there tuning in. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for tuning in this this year in, in 2022 and uh, for the final episode of this year. That's Bronco Mendenhall, and I'm Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for tuning in to Head Coach You, and we will catch you again next week.